Chapter Twenty of the Great Secret by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com. Chapter Twenty, Traveling Companions. I locked the door of my stateroom and seated myself upon the edge of the lower bunk with a little sigh of relief. The slow pounding of the engines had commenced. The pulse of the great liner was beating and through the porthole I could see the docks with their line of people gliding past us. We were well out in the Mersey already. "'We're off, guest,' I exclaimed, "'and off safely, too, I think. Chuck that now, there's a good fellow.' Guest was engaged in emptying the contents of one of my bags. He turned slowly round and faced me with a pair of my trousers upon his arm. "'I shall do nothing of the sort,' he answered calmly. "'I am here as your servant, Courage,' and your servant i intend to remain we can't hope to keep the thing up on the other side if we are all the time drifting back to our old relations i wish i could make you understand this i opened the porthole as far as it would go and lit a cigarette that's all very well i said but i don't see any need to keep the farce up in private and i'm sure i can unpack my own things a thundering sight better than you can very likely he answered but you certainly won't do it can't you understand that, unless we grow into our parts, they will never come naturally to us? Besides, we may be watched, you cannot tell. The door is locked, I remarked dryly. For the moment, no doubt, we're all right, Guest answered. But you won't be able to lock it too often upon the voyage. Remember that we are up against the system with a thousand eyes and a thousand ears. It's no good running risks. I am Peters, your man, and Peters I mean to be. "'Do you propose,' I asked, "'to have your meals in the servant's saloon?' "'Most certainly I do,' was the curt answer. "'I expect to make acquaintances there who will be most useful. "'Did you get the passenger's list?' "'I drew it from my pocket. "'Guest came and looked over my shoulder. "'Halfway down the list he pointed to a name. "'Mr. de Valentin and Valet,' he murmured. "'That is our friend. "'I recognize the name. "'He has used it before.' now let us see again his forefinger travelled down the list again it paused mrs van reinberg and the mrs van reinberg ah he said that is the lady whose acquaintance you must contrive to make one of the court i asked he nodded there are others of course but i do not recognize their names they will sort themselves up naturally enough now unlock that door and go up on deck the stewards will be in directly for orders. I rose and stretched out my hand towards the door. Suddenly, from outside, an unexpected sound almost paralyzed me. The sharp, shrill yapping of a small dog. I felt the color leave my cheeks. Guest looked at me in amazement. What's the matter with you? he asked. You're not frightened of a toy terrier, are you? I opened the door. Of course my sudden fear had been absurd. I peered out into the passage, and a little exclamation broke from my lips. Sitting on his haunches just outside, his mouth open, his little red tongue hanging out, was a small Japanese spaniel. There may have been thousands of others in the world, but that one I was very sure from the first that I recognized, and I was equally sure that he recognized me. I stared at him fascinated. His bead-like black eyes blinked and blinked again and his teeth, like a row of ivory needles, gleamed white from his red gums. He neither growled nor wagged his tail, 
but it seemed to me that the expression of his aged, puckered-up little face was the incarnation of malevolence. I pointed to him and whispered hoarsely to Guest. "'Her dog!' "'Whose?' he asked sharply. "'Miss Van Hoyt's,' I answered. "'Rubbish!' he declared. "'There are hundreds of dogs like that.' I shook my head. "'Never another in the wide world,' I said. "'Look how the little brute is scowling at me.' The bedroom steward came round the corner at that moment. I pointed to the dog. "'I always understood that dogs were not permitted in the stateroom, Stuart,' I remarked. "'They are not, sir,' the man answered promptly. "'The young lady to whom this one belongs has a special permission. But he is not allowed to be out alone. He must have run away.' There was the sound of rustling petticoats. A young woman in black came hurrying down the passage. She caught up the dog without a word and hastened away. "'At what time would you like to be called, sir?' the man asked. "'Send me the bathroom, Stuart, and I will let you know,' I answered, stepping back into the stateroom. "'He'll be round in a few minutes, sir,' the man answered, and passed on. Guest leaned towards me. His eyes were bright and alert, and his manner was perfectly composed. He was more used to such crises than I was. He asked no question. He waited for me to speak. "'It was her mate,' I exclaimed. "'I was sure of the dog.' "'Miss Van Hoyt's?' "'Yes.' He caught up the passenger's list. There was no such name there. "'If it is she,' he said quietly, "'she is here to watch you. It proves nothing else. I shall be seasick all the way over, and at New York we must part. Go to the purser's office and find out, Courage. There is no reason why you shouldn't. You are interested, of course?' I nodded and left the stateroom, but I had no need to visit the purser. I met her face to face coming out of the saloon. If appearances were in any way to be trusted, the meeting was as much a shock to her as to me. She was wearing a thick veil which partially obscured her features, but I saw her stop short and clutch at a pillar as though for support as she recognized me. If the amazement in her tone was counterfeited, she was indeed an actress. "'You!' she exclaimed. "'Where are you going?' "'America, I hope,' I answered. "'And you? I did not see your name on the passenger's list.' "'I am going home,' she answered. "'I made up my mind at the last moment to come on this steamer to cross with my stepmother.' I did not like the way she said it. It was too apt, a little too mechanical. And yet I could not get it out of my head that her surprise was natural. A little fair woman, wearing a magnificent fur cloak, and with an eyeglass dangling at her bosom, suddenly bore down upon us. "'Adele!' she exclaimed. "'Have you seen my woman? I've forgotten the number of my stateroom.' "'It is opposite mine,' Adele answered. "'I can show it to you.' They passed on together. The fair little lady had favored me with a very perfunctory and somewhat insolent glance. Adele herself left me without a word. I went into the saloon, took my place for dinner, and then sought the deck for some fresh air. I felt that I needed it. A slight drizzling rain was falling, but I took no notice of it. I walked backwards and forwards along the promenade deck, my pipe in my mouth, my hands clasped behind me. The appearance of Adele had been so utterly unexpected that I felt myself almost unnerved. For six days we should be living in the close intimacy which fellow passengers upon a steamer find it almost difficult to avoid. Our opportunities for conversation would be practically unlimited. If, indeed, guest suspicions as to the reason of her presence here were well founded, 
a single slip on my part might mean disaster. And yet, beneath it all, I knew quite well that her near presence was a delight to me. My blood was running more warmly. My heart was the lighter for the thought of her near presence. Danger might come of it. The success of our undertaking itself might be imperiled. Yet I was glad. I leaned over the vessel's side and gazed through the gathering twilight at the fast receding shores with their maze of yellow lights. Life had changed for me during the last few weeks. The old placid days of content were over. Already I was in a new world, a world of bigger things, where the great game was being played with the tense desperateness of those who gamble with life and death. I had not sought the change. Rather, it had been forced upon me. I had no ambitions to gratify. The old life had pleased me very well. I had quitted it simply upon compulsion. And here I was with unfamiliar thoughts in my brain, groping my way along paths which were strange to me, face to face now with the greatest happening which heaven or hell can let loose upon a man. It was a queer trick, this, which fortune had played me. After all, we are very human. The dressing bugle brought me back to the present, and I remembered that I was hungry. I descended into my stateroom and found all my things neatly laid out and guests sitting on the opposite bunk regarding them critically. "'You shouldn't have bothered about my clothes, guest,' I protested. "'Nonsense,' he answered curtly. "'I can't play the part without a few rehearsals. What about Miss Van Hoyt?' "'She is on board,' I answered. "'You have spoken to her?' "'Yes.' "'Did she offer any explanations as to her presence?' "'She appeared to be surprised to see me,' I answered. "'She said that she was going home.' Guest nodded thoughtfully. "'Her stepmother is an American,' he remarked. "'I don't suppose you knew that.' "'I did not,' I admitted. "'I wish you would tell me all that you know of Miss Van Hoyt.' "'No time now,' he answered. "'You will be late for dinner, as it is. "'Don't seem too eager about it. "'But remember it is absolutely necessary "'that you get an introduction to Mrs. Van Reinberg. I nodded. I'll do my best, I promised. End of chapter 20. Recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's audiobooks.com